0: for a really great future we're talking real money
1: oh my gosh the information out there it's just awful it's really awful why am i saying that here at the beginning of the show well because i was listening to a q a section of a and this is the q uh, a friday a q a section of another investment talk show that came up on the show recently and i'm not going to mention the name because they're already mad at us because they think we said something bad about them which i don't think we did we just said what their fees were but anyway um i was listening to one of their shows and a guy called in and he goes i heard you talking about high quality bonds that were yielding seven plus percent and the host goes on to say and this was from like a few days ago Most goes on to say, yeah, we're looking at corporate bond uh, yields of, you know, still over 7%, although they've come down a bit. What kind of corporate bonds yield 7%, dude? Not the good ones. The effective yield on uh, the, 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 the average yield on triple Bs, which is the highest investment grade level, is about 5.5%. That's it. If you're getting seven, you're getting junk. You guarant- I guarantee you, you are getting junk. You can't call those high quality. Oh, geez. Yeah, that's why we're here, to try to give you decent information because most of the other stuff is just garbage. It's really garbage. 855-935-TALK is our phone number. You can use that to call us anytime with your questions, but you can also send your questions in. To talkingrealmoney.com using the contact form, which is what a lot of you do, and we really appreciate it. And on Fridays, we try to really focus on those. So, without further ado, since this is Q and A Friday, let's get to a Q so I can a it.
2: Hey Tom and Don, just had a question about this company I keep seeing advertised on YouTube called Phoenix Capital Group. They're claiming nine, eight, nine to eleven percent, something like that. And they say they have no fees. Are these like junk bonds or something that they're selling? I didn't really look into it too much, but I was just curious. I'm sure it's not something anybody should be getting into if it's being pushed on YouTube. But just curious. Thanks for the show.
1: Well, speak of a devil. Not the devil, just another devil. Well, speak of a devil. Uh, <laughs> I'm promising nine to... I looked them up. Yeah, nine to 12. Nine to 12 yields. Yeah. Who doesn't want a nine to 12 yield? Well, the problem is these are all exempt securities. These are Reg A and Reg D securities. And what that means is that they're only available for sale to well-qualified investors. In other words, investors who the SEC believes have enough money and are smart enough to vet these things properly, which is just not true. It's just not true. Uh, it doesn't matter how much money you have. You're You're, you're not. You're not going to do a good job vetting these things. These are energy trusts or energy bonds, uh, securities based on energy, on, uh, oil and gas. And these things are notorious for, uh, payment, high payments along the way of a depleting asset. So you make a lot of money every month, but you're eating up a big chunk of your capital. And by the way, nine plus percent yields, that really is the only way to do it. That, that's just, there's no other way. There are no assets that legitimately yield that kind of money, even uh, in the junk bond arena. They don't even yield that. So it has to be some sort of a depleting asset. And so the yield is not a real number. That that rate is not a real number. Eventually, your money is going, It's some of it's coming back to you and it's just going to go away. So you're taking your own money back. High risk, high risk, high, high, high danger. Stay away, steer clear, don't touch it. ever. Thank you. Uh, questions? Just send them in at talkingrealmoney.com. Speak them. You can record them right there, like just like this.
2: Hi, Tom and Don. This is Robin, Virginia. Two quick questions. First, I was wondering if the intro music for talking Real Money is intended to be an homage to Rush. And second is about BND you often recommend short and intermediate term government securities as a primary fixed income holding. I was wondering how much of short and intermediate term bonds are actually contained in funds like BND and the total bond market index that Vanguard provides. I know there are some long term and corporate holdings, but I was wondering if the number of those holdings within a fund like BND are insignificant compared to those of short-term and intermediate-term holdings. And overall, if we should consider that to be an intermediate-term bond fund. Can you guys shed any light on this? Thank you.
1: Now, bear in mind, one of the reasons we suggest BND is just because it's a very simple way to own a very diverse portfolio of bonds. If we wanted to get real specific, we could get down and you know suggest individual um, intermediate and short-term funds but that just we get in the weeds then because the the uh the vanguard total bond index has a maturity of uh, effective maturities of under 10 years and a duration of like six and a half years which is really the number you should look at is that duration because that's how bonds move in and out based on how bonds move in and out the uh, la- the, the last numbers i have for it um under under 20 percent of the bonds are over 10 year maturities, so that means that um over 80 percent are 10 years or less which puts a very substantial portion of the portfolio in the short to intermediate term range which means whole lots of bonds come due and that again is to reflect the nature of the market more intermediate term bonds are issued than any other so matter of fact um The three to, uh, in the three to 10 year range, that's, um, that's, uh, let's, I just want to double check. Yeah, three to 10 years is uh, about 40%, over 40, 50, 50, oh, yeah, almost 60% of all the uh, bonds issued. So it's going to be heavy on short and intermediate. As a matter of fact, uh, oh gosh, twenty five, um, uh, just less than thirty percent are are uh, under three years, so that 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 makes them relatively short term. So it's a good portfolio for that. It's not perfect short intermediate, but it does a pretty good job emulating that. Oh my gosh, I forgot to answer the music question. I got so tied up in the investment question. Uh, is the music on Talking Real Money an homage to Rush? No. I, I don't even think it's all that similar. Rush's was an instrumental version of a song by The Pretenders. Um, so that means they had to pay money for it. Whereas our music is from a um, production library. It's royalty-free music. We just paid a one-time fee to use it for anything forever, pretty much. So, uh, no, not a, not an homage to Rush, just a, just a coincidence. I don't even know what the name of the music is we use. I know it has a name, just don't remember what it is. Thanks for your questions. We appreciate it. 855-935-TALK. You can call that number 24-7 or when we're live on Saturdays. Every Saturday, you can actually call and talk to us live, not recorded, at 855-935-8255 between 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. Eastern Time. That's noon to 2 on the West Coast. So uh, 855-935-8255 or send your questions in at TalkingRealMoney.com, which is where these all came from because we have a ton.
3: Hi, Tom and Don. This is Greg from Cincinnati. I discovered your podcast about a month ago and I have listened to it just about every day ever since. Thank you for the information. I feel like I've been learning some things as I am a do-it-yourself investor. And I have a portfolio question. Right now, my allocation is about 70 30, and that's broken down as follows 40% is in large cap, and some of that is in value, some of that is in growth. 12% in small cap, and that's in a blend. 18% in international, with some of that being in emerging markets. 20% in bonds and 5% in a money market that's earning about 4.6% right now. All of those are low-cost index funds or ETFs. And my question is, um, after listening to your show, I'd like to add a REIT fund. The one I'm looking at is F-R-E-L. And my question is, if I want to put 5% of my portfolio in that where should I take out of thank you very much I appreciate it
1: oh this is easy easy you're way overweighted in U.S. large cap you're way overweighted in the U.S. way overweighted in the U.S. you do not have nearly enough international as a matter of fact I think you ought to uh, pare down use the get to the five percent in the REIT fund which is, by the way, for those of you playing along at home, it's the Fidelity MSCI Real Estate ETF, which is a, uh, an exchange-traded fund. And uh, that is it's – a, it's a fine fund. It is heavily weighted to the U.S. Uh, it is, uh, again, heavily weighted to the U.S. Uh, fees are Fees are reasonable. Uh, at point zero eight four percent, which is pretty darn low. But no, your portfolio is over, over, overweighted U.S. large. You've got too much. And that is that's something that needs to re, be rebalanced out regularly of your equity position. This does not include the bonds or the real estate of your equity position. We believe that somewhere around 60 percent of that should be U.S and about 40% international. We even go so far as to sometimes look at 50-50, although right now 60-40 is probably the right split based on market capitalizations. So you should have at least that and you don't. So that's I would start removing money from the large cap and then start rebalancing and increase that international portion. Remember, people are saying, well, I don't want to buy international stocks because they're not doing well. Oh. The whole thing is you want to buy things when they have fallen, after they have fallen, when they appear not to be doing well. That's when you want to buy them. That's the whole purpose behind rebalancing. So rebalance to maintain your percentages at least once a year, unless nothing moves. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it. Send yours in at TalkingRealMoney.com or call eight five five nine three five talk And let's take another one.
2: Hello. Hello. My name is Julia. I have a question about 401k contributions for bonuses. My company allows us to run bonuses through the 401k program, and I'm expecting one in June, which will max out my contributions for the year. I'm a believer in Roth, but because I live in a high-tax state and bonuses are taxed at the federal level at a higher rate, I'm wondering if I should just run it through the traditional 401k and then try to convert it. In the future to a Roth. Looking for your advice. Thank you.
1: Let me start at the end and go backward. Um, the placement of the money should be based on your overall tax situation. If you are in what you believe to be a higher bracket now than you will be when you get to retirement, then it makes sense to go for the taxable account. Um, And that's what I do because I've done the numbers and I'm pretty confident I'm going to be in a lower bracket in retirement. So I just put everything in pre-tax and I, I I have funded a Roth. I can't now except through a backdoor, but you could do a backdoor if you're not eligible for a regular Roth. So you could do that in addition to the 401. The other thing is, is I love the idea of front loading that 401k while you can, because you give yourself additional time for that money to work for you and be in the market it's bet i know it's so hard for a lot of people to get but you seem to get it it's better to be in the market than to not be in the market and the sooner you can be in the better not because we think it's going to go right up we don't know we just know it has gone up more than it's gone down so i think front loading it by putting that bonus in great idea um as to which kind of account it needs to be part of a longer term tax plan than just immediate if you and you sound like you might be somebody who's in a higher bracket today, given that you're getting bonuses and things. So it's probably, but without more information, I can't say for sure. It's probably advantageous to go with the, uh, the, the tax deductor, the, the account that gives you the deduction, the, the pre-tax account. So thanks for the call are the questions. It's not really a call, is it? But you know, none of these things are what they used to be, are they? You know, you don't read the paper anymore, do you? You read the pad or the computer or the screen, but we still call it the paper. You, you We're not taping this show. We're recording it, but we're definitely not taping it. But sometimes we say that. You don't film your kids. You video them, but you don't film them. So I guess we can call it calls. Let's not quibble. We've got another one, and I'm trying to get through. Let's see how many. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to get through two more. On today's podcast, let's go for number five.
4: Good day, Dom and Tom, and thank you very much for the work you do. My name is Jim and I'm 67 years old, so I'm approaching retirement. Now, I've just learned that my company is going to be bought out and that the new company offers John Hancock funds. We don't know which ones yet, but for the 401k, that's who administers it. Uh, my current company, I do have some money in my 401k here, and it's mostly Roth. But I also have a previous employer, and the majority of the funds there are traditional 401ks. So my question is, is kind of multifold. Number one, tell me your thoughts on John Hancock funds. Number two, should I move? money from a previous employer's, um, tradition, uh, traditional 401k into my current employer's Roth 401k. My thoughts are that I would like to escape some taxes after I retire withdrawing the money. Now I do realize I'll probably incur some taxes for making that transition this year. And if this is the last year that I wind up working and then third, I wanted to make sure you still advocate having some money in a traditional and some money in a Roth. And if so, what kind of percentage would you suggest having in both? Appreciate your thoughts on those matters and look forward to hearing your reply.
1: Well, the John Hancock, uh, 401k Investment options are a a really mixed bag. They run the gamut from relatively expensive, actively managed funds to some pretty good ETFs. As a matter of fact, some really great ETFs because they offer dimensional ETFs. So, uh, for the equity portion of your portfolio, this could be a great place. I had a hard time. I, I was looking at all the, at bond funds. I did not look at all of them, but I found that the, the, the bulk of them have very high expense ratios. Some of them are actively managed. I probably would skip those, which means I don't know that I would roll assets into this new 401k. Uh, I would be tempted. You said you're going to retire soon anyway. I would really be tempted to go to a Roth IRA. If you're going to move some money from the 401k to a Roth, just establish a Roth now, save you creating it later. You're going to pay taxes on anything you move to a Roth. You alluded to that. You will pay taxes. Make sure you can pay those out of other assets. However, however, uh, moving into a Roth, if you believe you're going to be in a lower bracket in the future, might not be a very wise move right now. You may want to wait or not do it at all, Um, because if you're going to be in a lower bracket in the future, you're going to be taking money out of that 401k and paying fewer taxes on it, plus letting it ride tax-deferred. So we do think you should have both, but that's mainly when you're younger And you don't really have a feel yet for where you're going to go in the future. But if you already have a feel for where your future is going to be tax bracket wise, again, not knowing tax rates, we've said that over and over again, um, you may not want to move much, if anything, to Roths. And there is no hard and fast formula, you know, 50, 50, 64, whatever. There is no hard and fast formula. It's really based on guesswork. What do we think our future is going to look like compared to our present? And if you're in a very high bracket today, it makes sense to put money into those pre-tax things so that you don't pay a lot of taxes in your higher bracket today. And again, pick and choose carefully with the John Hancock. And if you're going to move old 401ks, I'd probably just begin the process of moving those into a brokerage IRA with a Vanguard or a Fidelity or a Schwab or whomever and uh, start picking your own ETFs so that you can build the right portfolio for you. Thank you so much for the question. Uh, Now, oh, we're to number six. We made it. Let's go to our call. Number six came in from TalkingRealMoney.com on the contact form.
2: Hi, Tom and Don. This is Pete in Boston. I was just listening to your podcast on crypto, and you got part of it right, but you didn't mention proof-of-stake crypto, which is, Much lower, actually zero power consumption as far as it's really, it's not mining. It's more just holding the crypto in order to prove that you own it and be able to earn yield on it. I just wanted to add that, but I will also say that as a former crypto investor, it is a crappy investment. It's very risky, very volatile, of course, and it has nothing backing it. So anyway, thanks for the show.
1: Well, thank you for the good information and for pro- providing even more confusion about how crypto works, which is one of my arguments against it. It is definitely not a transparent, easy to understand uh, system concept. It really isn't. I mean, proof of stake is—it's—it's it's only for a few people in the crypto universe, and unlike proof of work which is the mining thing it's more complicated fewer people use it and it's part of crypto (laughs) which uh i i say with as much disdain as humanly possible because i don't believe in it i don't believe you should have to suspend disbelief to put money into something to invest in something and that's what you have to do with crypto you have to suspend disbelief okay i won't ask where you're gonna spend it i won't i won't ask where it came from Uh, what it's really worth because nobody seems to know so anyway that's that (laughs) We've wrapped it up. That was a quick one. It wasn't even really a question. Thank you for being there. I really do appreciate you. Tom and I both do. And uh, we hope that you will listen to our podcast every darn day, almost every darn day. We're even going to try and put up a couple on weekends now and again. But uh, we're here every Saturday, Tom and I together, to take your calls live every day in person at 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255, between the hours of 3 and 5 p.m. Eastern Time every single Saturday. That's noon to 2 Pacific. It's either both of us or one of us most of the time. Rarely do we ever take a Saturday off. So if you want to talk directly to us, that's the time to do it. Saturdays 3 to 5, the number 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. Please share this podcast with others that you know please the more literally the merrier and if you like what you hear leave a review in apple podcasts i'm don i'll be back with tom really soon talking real money